Amen. It's a happy day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we open our hearts to your word. We want to hear from you. Pray that you would grab a hold of our attention, but especially grab a hold of our affections. Lord, that uh, we might give to you all the praise and glory that is your due. Guide my words now. Give me inner strength. And uh, Lord, may these words be a blessing. Uh, may they edify your people. In Jesus' name. I'm uh, Pastor Andrew Gross, associate pastor here. And um, just a little, little warning, if I, if I, uh, t- today was a rough week. <laughs> I... Uh, uh, injured myself in the gym, and then we brought my son down to college, my oldest son down to college, dropped him off. I was a total mess. Um, that was, uh, yeah, it wasn't pretty for anybody, and <clears throat> score, score points for embarrassing the oldest son at college. That's good. Um, but uh, anyway, God's gotten us through, but anyway, so if I, if I break down, it's Either has to do with I'm grimacing from the injury, or I'm crying about my son, or something about the word is impacting me. The Holy Spirit's moving me. Hopefully, that's the Holy Spirit. Maybe a mixture of both. Who knows what it's going to be? But yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, today we are we're almost done with the book of Deuteronomy. We've been marching through the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, books of Moses, and uh, we're almost. Uh, we're almost done with all those, those first five books. Um, this, uh, this chapter, or this, sorry, this section of chapters, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapters 27 through 30. So we're going to be in there a lot today. If so, you want to pull that out, either your digital device or the Bible that's in front of you in the pew. I'm going to pull that out because we're going we're gonna to dig in. This, uh, this message is entitled, Choose life. Choose life. Um, It comes from chapter 30, chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, verse 19. This is what Moses said. Moses is in the middle of a big speech, one of his final speeches before he passes away. And uh, Moses says this, I tell, he says, this day, in verse 19 of chapter 30, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life. Choose life. This, this, uh, this command to choose life comes as the culmination of all these chapters, chapters 27 through 30. And uh, it, there's... Moses spends all this time explaining the blessings and the curses, the life and the death, as we will find out in a moment, that he's setting before the people. And now, at the culmination of this, comes this point of decision, this point of decision where he says, choose life. Choose life. But, of course, that begs the question, what does it mean to choose life? What does it mean to choose life? Well, Whenever you are confused or mystified about a phrase in the Bible or a word in the Bible, the very best thing to do is look at the immediate context. That's the first step. Look at what is immediately right around that word or that passage in Scripture, and that's going to be the, 
the, the surest, best way to, to begin figuring out what does this mean. So what does it mean to choose life? Well, let's keep reading in verse 19 and then verse 20. Moses says, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So a few things I want to point out about the context is, first off, this phrase, so that you may love the Lord your God. There's something about choosing life that in Moses' mind is associated with loving the Lord your God. In other words, when you, when you love God, you're choosing life. If we keep going on in the same verse, he says, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Now that word listen it's, we've explained it many times before. Uh, the word listen, it's the word shema in, uh, in ancient Hebrew, and that word doesn't mean passively hear about some information. It means when, when, someone, when, when God gives you a command, it means you respond to him with obedience. That's what that word listen means. So it doesn't mean, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing about his voice. It means you're actually responding with obedience. And, uh, and then this phrase, hold fast, hold fast to him. I, I remember when my kids were little and I would, ex- I would be trying to exit the house for whatever reason, go to gro- go get groceries or something, and uh, they would often um, throw themselves um, around my legs. I don't know if that ever happens to any other parents. Throw themselves around my na- legs, wrap their arms and their legs around so their entire body was around the lower half of my legs. And I and, and when all three of them would do it together, it was quite an effort to get out of the house, I have to say. But what these kids were doing, were they, they were holding fast to me. So I want you to have that image in your mind. It says, hold fast to God. So there is something about choosing life that means loving the Lord your God, listening to his voice, holding fast to him, and, and then Moses confirms it with this phrase, for the Lord is your life. The Lord is your life. He's actually equating life with the Lord. The Lord and life are identical. And so when we choose life, what we're really doing is we are choosing the Lord. We are choosing to love him, listen to him, and hold fast to him. Now, I want to go just, uh, that's good to start out with the context immediately around the passage, but I want to go just a little further out with context. Let's go up to verse 15 uh, in the same chapter, chapter 30. Moses says almost the exact same words in that. He says, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. So we have uh, the, the first verses I read, verses 19 and 20, are repetitions of these verses, verses uh, 15 and 16. Uh, 
and, uh, and, and we have that those like almost the exact same language again. Loving God, walking in obedience to him, keeping his commands, decrees, and laws. So, so this gives us a good sense of, of what Moses meant when he was telling the Israelites that morning or that day, choose life. Choose life. Now, I, I want to pull back just even a little bit further and look at some more context. Uh, we've done this a number of times where we've looked at the whole book of Deuteronomy, but I want to do that again. Uh, you see, um, so in the book of Deuteronomy, we've got in the very center of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapters 12 through 26 are all these laws, these just good laws that point to God's goodness. And uh, most of those laws are repeats from other parts of uh, Leviticus, Exodus, and, uh, um, and that, that's why this whole book is called Deuteronomy, which literally means the second law. And uh, so, so we've got most of those collected in chapters 12 through 26. And then at the either end of Deuteronomy, you've got the intro, chapters 1 through 3. You've got the big finale, chapters 31 through 34. Pastor Steve is going to preach on that uh, for us next week to find out how Moses ends up this, this, this really, it's a, anyway, it's a really good, it's going to be a good message, <laughs> a really good passage. Uh, find out what happens there. Uh, and in between that, there's what scholars call the inner frame of Deuteronomy. And the inner frame, we've got the section we're looking at, which culminates with this phrase, choose life. And, the, and it's, it's sort of a mirror, a mirror uh, of the other, the first part of the frame, where we've got what's called uh, the Shema, it's the word listen again, and you guys uh, probably uh, are, probably all of you could, almost all of you could, could repeat the, the, the core central phrase in that, where Jesus says, uh, or sorry, Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, quotes this as the greatest commandment. Uh, it says, listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is, uh, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So once again, this uh, outer frame, or sorry, this inner frame, uh, we've got this, this idea here where uh, it's associating choosing life with loving God. Choosing life means loving God. And uh, I've got listed here, you can look at these up in your own time, uh, other passages in Deuteronomy where the idea of loving God is connected with choosing life. So go ahead in your own time, look those uh, other passages up in Deuteronomy. Now, <clears throat> to make sure Moses gets his point across, most of these chapters, Moses makes the choice of life or death, blessing or curses, extremely, extremely obvious. Which one is the better decision? We would be here for a very long time if we went through every verse in chapters 27 through 30. Uh, I, last week, I encouraged you to read this, and, and some of you did. That's great. If you didn't, go ahead and take some time to read this. I just want to point out just a few of the things. Um, in chapter 28, um, uh, Moses describes some of the blessings that, and the benefits that are associated with choosing life. Uh, I want to read verse, starting in verse 12. Um, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. He will lend to many nations, but, or you will lend to many nations, but borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. 
If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. So that just gives you a little, little taste. There's this, that's part of a much longer list of all the blessings, all the benefits that come from choosing life. And then Moses spends an even longer amount of time explaining the drawbacks of choosing death. And again, we would be here for a very long time if I went through the whole list. I just want to point out a few of them. In chapter 28, at the end of the same chapter, chapter 28, starting in verse 64, just a few of them. Then, this is again, if, you, if, if the people choose death. Then the Lord will scatter you among all the nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship other gods, gods your fathers have not known, uh, gods of wood and stone, which neither your fathers, neither you nor your fathers have known. Among those nations, you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. There, the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing and a despairing heart. You will live in constant suspense, filled with dread, both night and day, never sure of your life. In the morning you will say, if only it were evening. In the evening, if only it were morning. Because of the terror that will fill your hearts at the sights that your eyes will see. The Lord will send you back in ships to Egypt on a journey I said you should never make again. There you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves but no one will buy you. That's just a little taste of the consequences of choosing death. And then to really emphasize this, Moses explained that once they entered the promised land, they were going to do this really bizarre ritual. And they did end up doing it. Uh, you can read about it in uh, Joshua chapter 8. But um, this bizarre ritual, so almost... Uh, in the very geographical center of the country of Israel, there's this valley called the Valley of Shechem. There's a town there now. Now the town is called Nablus. They called it Shechem uh, for many, many years. And on either side is the, these hills. There, the valley is this natural amphitheater. And on one side is the, is, they call it Mount Gerizim. The other side is Mount Ebal. And uh, they, uh, Moses said half of the tribes are going to stand uh, on the slopes of Mount Ebal and the other half of the tribes are going to stand on the slope of Mount Gerizim. They're going to put the Ark of the Covenant uh, right in the middle, in between. And then the people, the, the members of the tribes uh, who stand in Mount Gerizim, they're going to shout all these blessings that were supposed to come upon the Israelites for choosing life. And then the other half of the, of the tribes were going to shout all the curses that were to come uh, if they chose death. And so... Uh, um, and, and apparently, uh, if, if you stand in this, uh, in this uh, valley, it's a natural amphitheater, so you actually can hear um, very well if someone does that. So they were going to do this kind of bizarre ritual for that. Um, now, I, I, I want to pause from the regular sermon for a minute because I, I need to emphasize this. When people read this, and I, I've struggled with the exact same thing when I've read this before, Sometimes it's easy to lose sight of grace. It's, it's, it's easy to say, like, well, there's the, the consequences for death are so severe, 
what about grace? What about the idea that God just loved me already and picked me out of darkness? And uh, what, what about grace? Um, I, I want to assure you, it's very important when you're reading passages like this in Deuteronomy that you keep in mind it really is all about grace. Uh, and if, if, if when you read this you're confused or worried about grace, write these verses down here and go and take some time and look at them these are in the book of Deuteronomy itself, okay? I didn't pull them from somewhere else. I didn't pull them from the New Testament and try to apply them to the Old Testament. This says it right here in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 4, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapters 23, chapter 33. Um, all of these uh, are very significant passages that make it very, very clear this whole covenant is by grace. It starts with grace. It's out of the love of God. It's out of the grace of God that the people even get to choose life or death. So if you're worried about grace, if you're confused about grace, go back and spend some time meditating on these passages. Uh, in fact, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 12, even calls this a covenant of love. That's the name that is used to describe this covenant God is, is giving them, this covenant of love. So hold on to that. Um, an analogy that uh, may or may not work for you, kind of works for me. It's not the best analogy in the world, but let's say um, purely because I'm, I'm kind and loving, I, and not because you've earned it, not because you've done such a great job, but simply out of my love, I give you an all-expense-paid um, VIP uh, month-long trip to Disney World. Everything's paid for, your lodging, your food, uh, you get to just uh, enjoy yourself. You get to go to the head of every line. You get to, um, there's no restrictions or boundaries where you get to go. You just get to just have pure enjoyment for a month, okay? That would be grace, all right? That is grace to give you that, not because you earned it. You just get it as a gift. But what many, uh, what, what someone might do, I, I don't know why anyone would do this, but someone, what someone might do is... Uh, they're, they're, they're on their way to Disney World. They, oh, I got this cool ticket, this VIP. And then, and then uh, they look out of the corner of their eye, and they're kind of going through a bad part of the uh, neighborhood in Orlando, and they see this, uh, um, this rundown park, and there's, a, a, there's a, like a sandbox out there, and cats have been peeing in it and pooping in it. And uh, they, they, there's a few old broken pieces of plastic toys, and they pull over the car and say, oh, I'll just take a, take a minute and hang out here in this dirty old sandbox. And, uh, <clears throat> um, and, and they, they, they get there, and as, as they're playing around in the sand, and, and they're doing that for a while, and, and, and so they, 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 they kind of thinking to themselves, oh, I, I, I don't even know if this is a real ticket. I, I don't know if it's really going to get me in. I'll just stick it away. I'll, I'll do it later. And anyway, they end up spending their whole month squandering their whole time uh, playing around, dinking around in this dirty, cat-pee-filled sandbox, and... Uh, um, they've excluded themselves from the gift of grace. Does that, does that make sense? All right? They've excluded themselves from the gift of grace. And that's, that's what, what we do. When, we, when uh, people don't experience uh, grace, it's because they've made this choice. They, in, when the choice has been presented, choose life, choose death, they've chosen to exclude themselves from grace. So anyway, if that analogy doesn't work for you, we'll find other analogies, but it works for me. But it, it, it really is grace, and in fact, in chapter 30, uh, verse uh, 11, Moses says, um, Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach, 
it's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us that we may obey it, nor is it beyond the sea so that uh, you have to go ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it so we may obey it. No, the word is very near to you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart so that you may obey it. So that, that's grace, the fact that, that, that God is making the gift of this covenant so close to the people of God. That, was, that is grace. It's more grace. Okay, so since I've clarified that about grace, I have to say this. There is a big obstacle to choosing life. There is a big obstacle to choosing the grace. Um, there is a reason why some people would choose to dink around in the dirty sandbox instead of going to the VIP all-expense-paid Disney World tour. Um, if we go a little earlier to, um, let's see, we're in uh, verse, or sorry, chapter 29, chapter 29, verse, starting in verse 2, chapter 29, verse 2, it says this, Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials and to all his land. With your own eyes, you saw those great trials, those miraculous signs and great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. So do you guys see the contrast? Moses is saying, you saw, your own eyes saw the miracles of God. Everybody in the crowd over about age 45, they would have been kids and teenagers at the time, but they would have remembered that 40 years before this, God had set them free from slavery in Egypt with dramatic, dramatic miracles. They would have remembered how God would have parted the Red Sea miraculously. They would have remembered hearing the actual voice of God on the top of Mount Sinai. They would have remembered the manna every day uh, miraculously provided for them in the wilderness. They saw it with their own eyes, and yet they didn't have eyes to see. They didn't have ears to understand. They didn't have a mind to comprehend. Something was amiss here. And folks, the same can be true for us today. If I had, I would be funding a very uh, sizable retirement right now if I, uh, if I had a dollar for everyone who said to me, oh, if I had been there, if I had seen Jesus' miracles with my own eyes, yeah, I would, I, I would really be believing right now. If I had been there with Moses and I'd seen that Red Sea actually part instead of just hearing a story that kind of sounds like a fairy tale, yeah, I, I really would have believed. But the fact is, there are some of us who can actually witness miracles, witness amazing things God's doing, and we're actually observing it with our own eyes, and yet we don't have eyes to see. We don't have ears that can hear. We don't have minds that can comprehend. Jesus himself quotes this when he's, a lot of his onlookers, a lot of the story in the Gospels, the four accounts of the Gospels, a lot of the story is about onlookers, people who witnessed his miracles, and they still rejected him. People who actually saw it happen, and they rejected him. And 
uh, and, and so Moses, or sorry, Jesus quotes this verse from Moses when he's talking to these onlookers saying, you actually saw this happen with your own eyes, but you're rejecting it. That can still happen to us today. But there's good news. There is good news. There is a solution right here in the middle of this passage that we've been looking at in chapter 30. If you want to look with me in chapter 30, verse 6, Moses gives this little hint of hope that, that we don't have to be like the Israelites who saw the miracles with their own eyes and yet didn't have eyes to see. In chapter 30, verse 6, this is what it says. The Lord will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and all your soul and live. Now, remember that phrase, uh, the, the idea of loving God uh, we've already discovered that Moses associates or equates loving God with, uh, with choosing life. And so Moses here is saying there is hope right now that you can actually choose life. That, uh, and and the, the hope here is that your heart will be circumcised. Now, circumcision. Potentially awkward topic of the conversation. Um, What does it mean to be circumcised of heart without being horribly graphic? So, of course, this is referencing physical circumcision, and that's where men would have the most intimate part of their bodies um, and the most sensitive and tender parts of their bodies, uh, the the foreskin of their penis clipped off, and uh, that was a ritual. Uh, Most of the time was done to infants. It day eight of their life, so thank goodness they didn't remember that. Uh, there's a few instances where it was done to adult men. I'm really glad that I was not there for that. <clears throat> Most of the other men are probably very glad you're not there for that either. Um, <clears throat> but in any case, the symbolism of it is that uh, when the men did that, they were, they were dedicating themselves to the service of the Lord. They were saying, God you get to take the most intimate, most tender, most fragile part of me, and I, get to, I, I actually am risking that, and I'm handing myself over to you as my service to you. So it was this symbol of being dedicated to the service of the Lord. Well, what does it then mean to be circumcised in heart? What does it mean to be circumcised in heart? Well, Again, just like with the phrase, choose life, we want to look at the context, and we also want to look at another rule is look up where that phrase occurs in other parts of Scripture. So if you're ever confused by a certain phrase in Scripture, look up all the other times Scripture uses that phrase. That's going to help you understand what on earth it could mean. Well, the phrase circumcised in heart only occurs just a few times in Scripture, so we're we're going to look at them right now. Uh, Moses uses the phrase the most. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, Moses says uh, this. He says, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Do not be stiff-necked any longer. 
Now, we've, uh, we've talked about this. Uh, I know I've talked about this in a, in a sermon, what, what the phrase stiff-necked means. Uh, can anybody give me uh, a one-word or two-word summary of what stiff-necked is? Stubborn, yes, stubborn. So the, the image that's conveyed here is the image of an animal or an ox, and when the yoke is put on them and they're sent in a direction, instead of uh, being moved by the yoke in the direction the person wants them to go, they remain stiff-necked. They don't move their neck, and therefore they are unmovable. Uh, the idea is that if um, some, somebody is being uh, um, told what to do, instead of humbling themselves and bowing their neck before them, they remain with their neck stiff and, in other words, stubborn and refusing to do what they are told to do. So there's something about the phrase, the circumcision of the heart, that is connected to not being stiff-necked. There's something connected with not being stiff-necked. All right? So that's one bit of evidence. Another bit of evidence, Moses uses it again in the book of Leviticus in chapter 26, verse 41. He says, when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pay for their sins. The uncircumcised hearts, so he's here Moses is associating an uncircumcised heart with pride and therefore an uncir- a circumcised heart would be connected with humility. So there's some association with humility. Um, then Jeremiah is the only other person in the Old Testament who uses this phrase. And Jeremiah says this in chapter 4, verse 4. He says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. So there's some association here between circumcision of the heart and turning away from evil. There's a connection between circumcision of the heart and turning away from evil. So to summarize this, we know from previous passage that circumcising the heart is the antidote to eyes that cannot see. Something about circumcision of the heart gives you eyes that can see so that you can love God. We know there's an association with not being stubborn. We know there's an association with humility, and we know there's an association with doing good. Um, And then, uh, I didn't put it up here, but Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 25 through 26, Jeremiah uses it again, and there he connects that idea with the idea of knowing God. Uh, God promised that he would give people a heart to know that he is the Lord, and that they would boast in knowing him, Uh, and so that it's connected with knowing God. But, so we've got all this evidence of what the phrase could mean, circumcised of heart, Where we're really going to learn what it means is that the fullness of the revelation is in the book of Colossians in the New Testament. And uh, I'll have it up here on the screen because you don't have to turn there with me. But I want to read some of this in um, uh, Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going to start in a little little earlier, start in chapter 9, or sorry, start in chapter 2, verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised. In the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead, 
Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave, your sin, for, forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So a few things I want to point out about this passage. Verse 11 says that the circumcision is done in Christ. The circumcision is done in Christ. If you have been living your life outside of Christ, if you have not been walking with him, living for him, living in him, then and, and you're wondering, why do I still have this hard heart? Why do I still seem to not have eyes to see? Why do I still not seem to get it? Why does when I, when I hear the gospel proclaimed, when I hear the Bible taught, it sounds like someone's speaking in a foreign language. It's because the circumcision is done in Christ. And so if you haven't yet come to Jesus and given him your life, then of course your heart is still uncircumcised. Because it's, it's a circumcision that's done in him. Also, in verse 11, it says it's the putting off of the sinful nature, and it says that it's the circumcision is done by Christ. It's Jesus himself who does the circumcision in your heart. It's he himself who goes into the most intimate, most precious, most tender, most vulnerable part of you and cuts off, cuts it off so that you can dedicate yourself to him. Um, it's done in Christ, and it's done by Christ. <clears throat> and then it connects it with this idea of being buried with him in baptism, dying to your old self, being raised with him. And then it says that this, um, uh, in verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. God is the one, through Christ, who does this circumcision by making you alive. Christ. So I'm going to have the worship team come up, and in this song that we're going to sing, there's an invitation this morning. There's an invitation to choose life. And if you have felt like, I just don't have it in me to choose life, it's possible that your heart remains uncircumcised. But there is hope. There is hope. And that hope is that the circumcision is done in Christ. It's done by Christ. It's done through Christ by God making you alive in Christ. And so <clears throat> this morning, I want to invite you, if you've not yet let him circumcise your heart so that you can have eyes to see and ears to hear, so that you can choose life and love the Lord your God wholeheartedly, obey him and walk with him. Now is the morning to do it. And if you have done that, if you have done that, God is always calling you deeper. It's always okay. It's always an appropriate prayer to say, God, would you circumcise my heart? There's something in me still that refuses to love you. There's something in me that isn't holding fast to you. There's something in me that isn't uh, isn't walking with you and obeying you and listening to you. 
God, would you come and circumcise my heart and do this work in me? So let's, let's worship together.